Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Sadie St. Lawrence. Sadie is the founder of Women in Data, AI strategy consultant at Accenture, Coursera data science instructor, and recovering artist. Sadie, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. I'm glad you're here as well. And before we kick this off, I need to know how I explain AI strategy to my 97-year-old grandma. <laughs> That's a really good question because my parents um, are, you know, close to retirement age and live on a farm in Iowa, and they also ask me this question <laughs> quite often. So I've had a lot of practice at explaining it to people. I don't know if I'm successful at it. Um, you know, usually my mom sends me questions like, Facebook, you know, provided me this recommendation of something I was just looking for. Is that what you do? And I was like, well, I mean, it's kind of in the realm. So yes, yeah. but how I would explain it to someone is really looking at an overall business or organization and finding ways that they can use automation, which is really what AI is. Hmm. Um, and implementing that and marrying it with their current business strategy. So we're really looking at how do you take what you're currently doing and add in the new of automation and blend it together so you can be successful in the next five years, 10 years, and 20 years. Okay, cool. So is there such thing as AI without strategy or is it hard to kind of like can, yeah, can that's people called like, um, that's called like a side project or okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like making money with AI, like, like real business impact. Yeah. So really we're looking at how do we marry, um, artificial intelligence to the overall business objectives. So before I was mm -hmm. an AI consultant, I and worked as a data scientist. And there it was really heavily on building the models. And one of the things I found was if you didn't build models where the business was also heavily involved and bought into it, your models would just sit there. And for any developer out there, like we want our stuff to be used. And so that's kind of why I've started to shift more to the business side. Cause mm -hmm. I'm like, we need to connect these business people with the data science the machine learning engineers so that we can make sure their products are getting used, but also it's helping their business at the same time. Okay. And uh, I kind of heard something there around like basically a boundary between data science and AI strategy. Can you, I don't know if that's intuitive to me. Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily um, is a boundary. I think sometimes we we put a boundary on it. Um, I still go down into development and will develop models if I need to. Um, and I try and bring other data scientists up with me into the communication of the business side, right? Mm -hmm. So really more not a boundary, but a spectrum. And I think anyone you meet um, as a data scientist, machine learning engineer, you know, AI strategist, they're going to be spanning that spectrum of like heavy development to business communication. Um, and I'm just sitting a little bit more on the business communication side, if that makes sense. Sure. 
Yeah. Where does domain expertise come into the mix? Cause I know, um, at least like, like I work in oil and gas, so like full disclosure, mm-hmm. hopefully we can, uh, still be friends, <laughs> but, uh, like, like if I didn't have that background, I would be way less effective in my, uh, programming data science role there. And I'm wondering, like, do you specialize in certain, in certain industries or you just, you have a framework that you operate in that works with many industries? Like how, how do you navigate that? Yeah, so I've started off in the health and public service industries. And then once you kind of nail down the industry, I'd say you can start to span out from there. Because what you understand is there's common questions you ask that can pull information out of people from both the technical side um, to the business and functional side. And so, yeah, I 100% agree, like having, you know, deep industry knowledge is so helpful. And, you know, my recommendation to people getting in the field is stick to one so that you have your basis because it's going to build a foundation for you. And then once you feel solid in that, expand out from there. You know, it's the same thing I tell people with picking like a data science language. They're always saying, you know, should I learn Python or R? I usually recommend Python, so I'm on the right one here. But it, but what I do tell them is like whichever one you pick, just stick to that because yeah. after that one, you can branch out. Um, but you got to get your basics. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm happy you said that. Um, I often I I hate like when religion and technology mix like we shouldn't be (laughs) religious about our technology that like the customer doesn't care what we're using they just want they have a problem they need solved so i 100 agree we're preaching to the choir here i'm like show me what you build like i don't know what tools (laughs) awesome so except uh, python this is the python podcast it has uh there's something special about python i uh I, i won't I, I, I do love it a lot. Um, May it live forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what triggered your interest to take uh, a data science course back in 2014? Your first, I was reading an article. Was, yeah. yeah. So at that time I was working in a neuroscience lab and one day it was the end of the week and I had to euthanize a bunch of rats I just used in a test. And I caught like the glimpse of this rat as I held it in my hand and it looked me in the eyes as I'm like this 24 year old, you know, feeling not adequate enough to be using the drugs or killing any animals. And I just saw my dog like look at me when the rat looked at me and there was like this moment of connection with the animal. And I was I can't do this anymore. Like I can't kill rats for science. And, you know, when, so I kind of took a step back and I looked at it and I was like, what I really love is when I get the data from the experiments and analyzing it. And so I went to my most trusty source and advisor, AKA Google and started Googling what other career options are there. Wow. Um, And I don't know how I found it to this day, but somehow, you know, at that time, the articles I was reading was that data science was people leaving academia. They were kind of this, these rebels who were in these tech companies. And it's just like, you know, having a former Mohawk, it like, it just spoke to my spirit. (laughs) I was like, no rat killing rebel can create change of skill. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. And I mean, 
six years later, basically, it's like the like the hottest like one of the hottest careers, basically. Did you ever see that happening? Or I mean, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty when it comes to that, but. Yeah, I mean, I would love to say that I saw it all because I'm a data scientist and yeah. strategist and I can predict these things. Um, you know, I I knew it would be big because of um, and like women in data is one of the things that kind of spawned from that, like the need for it. Um, the degree to which it is and still is prevalent, I think, is still surprising, right? Because mm-hmm. you're lot of tech trends that come and go but this one is is sticking around to really make big impacts in our world and in our businesses so Mm -hmm. so is the trending is the trendiness uh kind of like are you looking for the next kind of rebellious thing or you're you're gonna you're sticking around you know, I am kind of looking for the next thing um because I love to like be a trailblazer like I love to go into the parts where it's like okay there's not really much of a roadmap um Mm -hmm. figure it out and now you know for instance when I started there were only five schools that had master's programs in in this space and today in the U.S. alone there's over a hundred right so the landscape has heavily changed Um, one of the things I think is really sad too is I feel like the creativity of it is kind of lessening right Hmm. you know we have standardization in the field and so like i really want to find diverse people like bring people from the arts or bring people you know from really interesting background and give them these tools Hmm. because i want to see what they create and i think we really need an influx of creativity in this space right now to push it to the next level Hmm. wild yeah uh with that being said do you think there's like if somebody's like hearing this for the first time, like, is there a bright future in it for, you know, many, uh, many years or what is your, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's an amazing, I don't discourage anyone who has like the curiosity and the drive to Mm -hmm. build. I mean, even if you don't land in data science, it's kind of one of those, a shooting I don't want to call it shooting for the moon and you'll land on the stars, but like going on that journey, there's so many different opportunities that will come up from it. I mean, there's people who have coached who have got into data engineering from it, who have gotten into product management. And so as you go on this journey, there's all these different flavors and career opportunities that you'll be open up to. Um, and I think that in of itself is worth it. Mm. And same time, just learning those skills so that you're data literate in the new decade, that's going to be essential as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole can of worms right there. <laughs> I'm, I just reflect on like even people in my own family, like they, they try, they try like as hard as they can, but it's, it's really, um, it's data literacy is, it's, it's crazy. Like, could you imagine a world that was like, you know, just completely data literate like what kind of conversations would we have what problems would we be solving like that's a that's a whole huge can of worms yeah i don't know i mean i know we try and keep these a little bit short so i don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole i have to be another episode we can chat about that yeah for sure so deep (laughs) yeah for sure um uh, would you consider the UC Davis opportunity to teach as your first success in data science? 
Uh, that to me was just more like a, it was a community success. So okay. I fell in love with data science because when I left academia, everything was closed off. People were always afraid of like stealing your research or and getting, it was like no one shared anything. Okay. Hmm. When I came to data science, it was like, we love open source and here's as much data as we can share and here's all the code. And I was like, I love this community. And it was at that same time that Coursera really started to take off. And that's where I took my first data science class. So it was really cool to, um, you know, give back to a community that gave so much to me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was super excited because I was the first female data science teacher on that platform. So it's cool to give back and then pave new ways. And so I think that was just an overall success from the standpoint of what it meant to me and kind of the new pathways that it created as well. Mm, excellent. What, what do you think is the big domino uh, for women in data that they could knock over to scale globally? Like if you, hopefully that question came out right. Like what's the, what's the missing piece for them to really like? Yeah, like if there was one domino that, that uh, you could help kind of push over that would just ensure that, that, that the rest of the dominoes would fall over. And that you could have like a global, um, basically global reach or global scale. Yeah, I think it's really the women who are in data to step up and be leaders or be entrepreneurs. And hmm. what I mean by that is, um, so Third Love is a company that manufactures bras for women. And they have the opposite problem of most tech companies, which is they can't hire male like engineers. They have a dis or male data scientists. Okay. They have a discussion, right? And so they have this problem where they're like, hey, we want to hire more males in this predominantly male industry, but most males aren't curious about those problems, right? right. And so I I think if we had more female leaders and more female entrepreneurs creating companies that women were really interested in, I think it would be a domino effect in getting more women into this field um, because you can't help but be curious and want to add to that problem. And when you have that curiosity, you will solve, um, you will get the skills and solve the problem. Okay. So it's, it's more of like a time thing. Like there's no way to really accelerate the uh, fall of that, that first big domino? Or is there, I guess? I mean, if I can just raise up like a couple hundred thousand liters, <laughs> I'm trying to find ways to scale that. We'll see. I'll, I'll get back to you on a year, in a year and see if I can scale that a little bit quicker. So. Cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And uh, what will happen first for you? Traveling to six countries or writing your first book? Um, I hope they happen together. So okay, cool. I've, I've started writing a book. I'm really excited about. You know, I don't. I didn't think of myself as a writer, but I think really it's just about writing every day. And I'm like, well, I'm writing every day, so that's working for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I hope they happen together um, and at the same time. I, I don't want to predict which one will happen first. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, let's see here. What is your pitch when scheduling curiosity meetings? Yeah, it's really just that. It's like, hey, 
I put in the title of the invite to people, usually in the company I work with or, you know, people that I, I spam an email. It says curiosity meeting. And I think just that title alone gets people curious. Yeah. I really just say like, hey, I want to learn about you I want to learn about you know your business or if I know a little something about them like can you share your experience or story but it's usually always centered around the person and I just tell them like I'm really curious and I love to ask questions and people love to talk about themselves and I think people innately reward curiosity too and mm -hmm. so, yeah I've only had two people who have ever like declined or like ghosted me which is pretty crazy because I usually email like high up people and organizations. Um, so I would definitely give them a shot. Curiosity meetings. I hope I get like an invite from somebody someday. Of, like, hey, I want to have a curiosity meeting with you. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the concept. I've never heard of it before. And uh, this whole little conversation we're having uh, for the audience out there, basically, this is your strategy like if you had to start over from scratch, what you would do basically, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that's really and, cool. And whatever my field is, I would use curiosity meetings. It's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to learn the business. Um, yeah, definitely a secret weapon to success. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's, that's really cool. Um, what should be the first skill to develop when getting started with data science? The first skill, I mean, I'm really biased to like SQL because it's so big. Yes, that was my first language I ever learned. It is, it's so, I mean, it, it really depends on where you're coming from, right? But like if yeah. you haven't learned a coding language before, start there because it's the mm -hmm. easiest. And then it's also gonna get you familiar with data structures and how databases work and that's going to be the meat of like where you're working. So like having a good foundation in, you know, how information is stored and moved around and like how you can read that information and write to those databases. I think that's really essential. Um, hmm. So it's like a skill. I would say like, I often talk about um, like the mindset of a data scientist and, you know, for that, like number one is, is curiosity of just like, you have to be curious because your your data isn't going to like tell you the answer. You kind of have to pull it out of it. So, hmm. yeah, wild and uh, SQL. I don't know if I was expecting the answer to that, but um, I couldn't agree with you more. There's, uh, it's not like you know, like data visualizations and like, you know, I mean, th those jobs have been around since like the '70s, and they'll probably continue to be. Like it just in high demand. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I love like just classics, right? It's like yeah, you know, no sequel came out, but like sequel stands strong, and you know, like whatever application I'm in, they always allow you to write in sequel, so mm. you can't go wrong. Yeah, that's that's good stuff there. What are some skills that you recommend? that uh, don't take too much effort, but cover like the Pareto, like 80% of what it takes to build a career in data science? Um, so from like SQL, then I like to build up from there, right? So you have like your foundation of 
databases and data structure, then build up to just like basic analysis. And like this can just be, you know, like what is what is like a mean and a mode, right? Like what is essential tendency, those types of things, right? Of, you know, what is a standard deviation? Like really, really basic. Like you don't need to go deep into machine learning, but just learn some basics of analysis. And then I would say, you know, find a few ways to visualize your data um, that doesn't make someone want to throw up when they see it, you know? So like, <laughs> There is, I think so many people miss the mark of like, when you're finished with this work, you need to share it back with the business. And so there has mm. to be some presentation and kind of etiquette with that. So making it look really good is key. And then, you know, on the top layer of all of that is really your communication, how you share what you found. It's so hard to pull yourself, you, you spend weeks and hours in the information and then you're meeting somebody for the first time and, and you have 30 minutes to talk with them. How do you really summarize that up um, and take it to their level so that they can understand it? So I think if you just, you know, even skim the top of those, that's enough to start just getting your hands dirty. And like, that's my advice to everyone is just like, get your hands dirty as much as possible because mm. you know, taking classes for years, like you're, you're once you get your hands there, you're going to be in shock. I'll just say that. So Yeah. No, so that makes a lot of sense. You're basically saying like the data structures, uh, get some like skills with exploratory uh, data analysis and maybe like some basic statistics, like summary statistics and mm -hmm. uh, visualization. And then communication is kind of like, like full circle is kind of what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, because you can always dive deeper into all of those, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, so many people just focus on the machine learning algorithms. Um, I think learn the library of them, but I don't dive deep into them until I know like, okay, I'm going to build a decision tree. So like, let me refresh on these models real quick. Um, hmm. But there's just no way you're going to know the depth of the, the math at any given moment and you don't need to. So, you know, keep it broad and then pull out your tool set and sharpen your tools when you really need them. Okay, that's excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And we might have answered part of this next question, but uh, what is overly difficult that you think a beginner in data science should kind of stay away from? Again, I think they always go into the models and like how many elements do I have in my model and how complicated it is. Mm. When you put a model into production, you're like, I want the most simple thing that I have to take care of and maintain. And like the less elements I can have, the better. Um, so I think that is the issue is just overly complicating it and trying to like, I think ego gets in the way because we want to like sound so cool with all our fancy terms and like deep math <laughs> that you would like never understand. Right. right. And it's just like cut the BS. What can your model do? So. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Uh, what learning resources do you find a lot of value in? Um, 
and Coursera, I'm sure, is probably somewhere up there. Yeah, um, starting out, Coursera is really great. I love Medium just to like get a feel for like Medium data science community is really big. Um, and that, that gives me just like a feel of like how people are feeling in data science, you know, like what's what's new, what's happening. Um, so that's probably like my go to for that. Um, you know, I don't take too many classes. Now I do a lot of like Googling to refresh of like, I remember this from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so then like, obviously Stack Overflow and just like all the basic forms, so. Awesome, yeah, those are, those are all top notch. I could agree with that. Uh, I just don't know how people coded before, you know, Google. I, I hear you. yeah, that's, they're a different breed, for yeah. sure. I have mad respect, so. Yeah, that's that's some wild stuff there for sure. Uh, what are the major applications you see for automation in the developing world? Mm. So this is really interesting because we are getting ready um, with women in data to expand globally. And we've had a lot of interest from Africa, which has been quite surprising to me. Um, and from the calls I've had, there's a lot of like small niche develop, uh, consulting firms there. And it's pretty incredible what they've done is they've kind of just skipped over like the 90s and early 2000s in terms of like world development and just like turbocharged to, you know, 2010 to catch hmm. up. And I wouldn't say it's so much, you know, like new applications. I think where it's really come from is because of MOOCs and open source software, like they so easily have the access to this information that they're using it and applying it in new ways that we would have never thought possible. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I think it's more so in terms of not waiting till you have all the other pieces, but just, you know, taking what you have and, and applying it to the problem. So I wouldn't say there's new applications. I would say it's really just surprising to me because it's almost like they skipped a couple of decades. Um, and so you kind of have this um, Mr. Potato Head of like, you know, high turbocharged, you know, great models, but at the same time to power your computer, you're like using a solar stick out somewhere, right? Crazy. So yeah. it's, it's pretty wild. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing that I kind of wonder is like, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like they just need capital to fund like equipment or uh, like, I don't know, that's probably not easy to summarize in like one sentence, like what, what would help kind of cultivate that or like really make it, really make it drive. Yeah, I think it's really like the, the scale of things, right? So, and usually to be able to scale, you need capital to fund and, and scale things up. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of programs where like micro loans and especially like micro loans for women have been doing well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I also saw that the uh, Twitter CEO is now heavily interested in the development of Nigeria and something about him wanting to move like the whole company there um, eventually. So oh, wow. it'll be interesting to see 
uh, as they start to develop more products and tools themselves, like will other parts of the world take interest as, and start to turbocharge that with the capital and the ability to scale? Okay. And what do you think the uh, result would be um, like maybe 10 years from now, for example, with more women getting into data science and having these opportunities? Uh, what do you think will be the outcome? Yeah, so we haven't fully tested this. We do research within women in data. And one of the theories we have is that we tend to see or hear women say that they want to get into data science for social good. And so there's really this kind of lens of like, how can we use these tools and techniques, um, you know, to relieve some burden on people. And so I think that is what I hope to see more of is not just how can we use this to create more ads and target ads and, and make more money for corporate America, but how mm. can we actually use this to create social change? And so that's what I think we'll really see is just women tend to be really selfless and very caring in their nature. So when they have tools and techniques, they normally apply it to those types of problems. Okay. Awesome. And what does, uh, like, what does success look like, uh, for your organization, I guess? Like, when do you know when you've kind of had, uh, success or is it, is it like a continuum and it, and it's never, never like fully realized, do you think? Yeah. So our mission is to increase diversity in data careers. So what we really look at and measure is like how many women are there in data science. Um, but now we've started to expand from that a little bit of like, not just how many there are in it, but like how many are we raising up to be leaders and support in their careers? And so this comes to my earlier comment from the research we did, what we found is a lot of the problem has to do with a lack of leadership and role models for them. So we're like, hey, we have 16% right now. Like, how do we take that 16% and elevate them and support them in their career? Mm -hmm. If every person just lifts one other person up, that's exponential, right? So really, you know, it's twofold. How do we get people into the career, but also how do we support them in their career um, and help them become leaders in their industry? Yeah, and is there, um, like, like I... You know, I've, I've got a, a, a few women like in my family, for example, like how would I kind of pitch them on this, I guess, or is it kind of like, like, a, like a magnet, like not everybody's going to be into it type thing. Yeah, I mean, I would love to just, you know, make everybody into it. I don't think I can, do, you know, you obviously have to have some interest. I would say, you know, come to an event. So we have chapters in 15 cities in the U.S. and then we will be expanding globally next year. Um, you know, sharing an event, the events are like open to anyone in the public. So that's a great way to just like get introduced to the community and get a feel for how things are. Um, and then, you know, see if your curiosity takes off and you want to learn more because then there will be the support to help guide you along the way. Okay, cool. Uh, a little change of subject, but I'm curious, is quantum computing an eye roller or a game changer, you think? 
Um, I think it's a game changer if we can really fully grasp um, what it is and what it does. Mm -hmm. um, I'm super excited about it. If I wasn't a data scientist, I would be a physicist. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, I, I think it's a game changer for sure. Okay. Now, very similar question. Uh, is blockchain an eye roller or a game changer? Um, <laughs> see, I'm very biased. Um, I think if, here's my stance on blockchain. I think if the developing world could find a way to use blockchain for its currency, um, inflation and problems they have and kind of just, you know, they're prime for it to kind of just like use it then to create a new currency um, and wipe things out. I think then it could be, you know, really revolutionary. I mm -hmm. think now implementing it into so many of our entrenched systems and I mean, you have all of the use cases I've seen have been to tack like real estate or healthcare or banking, like those are pretty strong systems we have in the U.S. So yeah. like, you know, really making that change and it has to be at scale, um, I think will be a little bit tougher. So it's like a half eye roll. It's like a wink maybe. <laughs> Can we do that? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, you wouldn't imagine uh, the, the different types of responses I get. Some people are just repulsed by it. They're like, oh, that's just another word for database. And then some people are like, it's going to change the world. And then, you know, so I'm always curious uh, what people's yeah, perspectives are. Hey, it's fun to talk about right now. And, you know, if anything, we're all just making predictions. So all of us are going to be wrong. So, you know. <laughs> yep. Uh, what caused your epiphany when you discovered your thoughts create your reality? Yeah. So I... I think a lot of this comes from physics, actually. Um, and I read like a lot of obviously self-help books and, you know, always looking to like expand kind of my consciousness. But really it made sense when I read this, uh, the, the study of Schrodinger's cat and how it's like, okay, not only is there like this kind of happy-go-lucky, you know, thought out there, like your thoughts create your reality, but like, we actually have scientific proof of how this happens, right? Because whoever was the perceiver of um, the cat really determined what it became. And like when I, you know, when I had my science too to back it and prove it, I was <laughs> like, oh my God, mind blown, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'd seen like evidence in a, my life of that, but that really made me a believer. Um, and it's showing like how we can, you know, change our perception to change our reality. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so your morning routine seems like there's a lot of components and it's all non-negotiable. How long is that thing? <laughs> and like, can you just talk about that a little bit? Like, would you, would you ever consider swapping something out for something else or, or uh, has it taken you a long time to kind of hammer down? those elements of your morning routine? Um, yeah, I switch it up probably every like two years, but it's pretty, I mean, it just it seems to get longer and longer, right? Um, so yeah, I wake up at like 5 a.m. every day um, and I normally start 
with coffee um, and then I journal. And then sometimes I'll like meditate for a little bit um, depending on how good the journaling went. Um, but then usually I write um, and this is like different from journaling because it's like writing for my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually work out. So like I, I need just kind of like this full like mind body wellness to like set myself up for success. Um, it usually takes about two and a half hours that morning routine. So like I'm about ready to get ready for the day by like 730. Mm-hmm. Um the weekends, it's a problem because I wake up later and then my boyfriend wakes up and he's like, wait, is this still morning routine time? <laughs> and I'm like, dirty looks, this is still routine time. So yes. that's why you just you wake up really early and you get what you need done to set yourself up for success. Yeah, that's that's like some seven habits stuff. Uh, they're talking about basically like the personal win for the day. And then prioritizing that. I don't know if you're a fan of uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. I got my little cards right here. I drink the Kool Aid pretty hard. Yeah. With, uh, seven habits. A, I did read the book. It's been a while. Um, yeah, I just I love morning time so much because it's like the least likely place to get disturbed, right? Mm. So if you're like whatever your priority is, and I mean you don't have to journal or. Or like work out like maybe your priority is you know taking a class and learning something new like the morning time is so good for that because um, not as much as coming through an email people normally aren't calling me at five in the morning um, so I it's like time I can block off and really dedicate to it mm-hmm. yeah and uh, if you don't mind me asking like as far as journaling goes um, I've I've never really been able to be consistent with it and so I'm always kind of curious, like how, uh, like how do you how do you do it? I guess. Yes. So I used to not be consistent with it until I went through the book, The Artist's Way. Um, I highly recommend that book for anyone, even if you don't think you're an artist and are like, I'm a technical person. Everyone's creative, so go through the book. But one of the key components is it, and it is you have to like free form write three pages every single morning and I had to do that for three months um and what they suggested is even if you don't know what to write just keep writing like I don't know what to write I don't know what to write nothing's Hmm. coming through until like something comes right and so that really helped me just to like release the like oh I need to do a status update (laughs) to my journal or I need to do carry some format it's like I literally just write three pages and whatever I write comes out so it could be like uh, goals or like a like a thought that you had or something you need to do later that day or like it's really yeah, it really it could be, be like, like that. Yeah, I mean, usually mine's like pretty ADD. Like, hey, super excited about this. Oh, by the way, this person sucked yesterday. Oh, <laughs> like maybe I should get this done tomorrow. What's that? My coffee is like cold. It, you know, I mean, yeah. it can be as ADD as you want. So. It's great fun. Does it serve as a tool for like reflection or do you build in time or is it strictly like a, like a warm up kind of for your writing or just a warm up for the creativity process? Yeah. So what it really does is like move um, like blocks in your creativity or in just like your day. Right. Because you're mm-hmm. essentially just getting all of those like little naggy things that are running through your head, the constant, 
just going um, and it's out on paper and you can throw it away or you can keep it. Um, you know, I'm a huge data person. I also keep track of my time down to like half an hour increments and have like five years of data on my life for this. Um, nice. When I started journaling too, it was like, oh my goodness, another amazing like data point. And so like every once in a while, I may get like a big glass of wine and go back and read through it. And it's so insightful to like read through it because you can find common patterns in your life. And you're like, wow, I've always struggled with this or like, wow, I really overcame this. And, you know, that was so hard for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think being able to plan um, and to predict like reflection is the most important part of that. And I'll take that back to like data science. I mean, that's how we build models, right? We build it on past data and mm -hmm. we feed past behavior to predict future behavior. So if you want to like predict your future behavior, you need to get past data on yourself and journaling is a great way to do that. Awesome. And is there like a time frame that you find like, I don't, I mean, is there, is there even like a real number? Like you want four months of data before you reflect or do you reflect every week or like, what have you found helpful? I guess. I, yeah, I would definitely not do every week. Cause you made me like, ah, it's too fresh. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Cut, putting salt in like an open wound, you know? Like, yeah. Nice. So, yeah I, I'd give yourself a little bit of time. Maybe like three months is probably like a good little cushion. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for answering that. I'm, I'm always kind of curious people's strategies with that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Great questions. Uh, thank you. Uh, are tests uh, like the ACT a good way to evaluate scho <laughs> scholarly aptitude? You know, it didn't work for me. Um, yeah, so I got, I think, what's the highest you can get on ACT? Like a 34, I think? You know, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up, but. Um. Yeah, so I got, I'll just be really honest. I got a 14 on the math portion of the ACT, which is like, I, there, I, now that I know statistics, I would have a better chance just multiple guessing those answers that actually tried. So yeah. yeah, tests were not, standardized tests were not my thing. I, I was actually homeschooled and so there was no, I had never taken a test before. So that was like the first test I'd ever taken. Hmm. Um, and what happened was, I, you know, I didn't even know how to like fill in the bubble charts. Maybe that was my problem. Maybe I missed a few bubbles or something. But, um, you know, it really taught me a lot because I started from the bottom in like math classes when I went to college and I fell in love with math. I just mm. like, I think it was really more so like the right time and right place. Um, because as I was older learning like elementary math, um, I was just like, this is a beautiful language. And I just then couldn't stop. So does it predict your overall success? No, definitely not. Um, are they good for something? I'm sure they are, but for what I've found for predicting my success, it hasn't been useful. So I, I will throw that data point out of my model for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And I guess uh, for everyone else out there too, like experiences like that might like if you're, if your brain, uh, like if you didn't understand, like that could actually introduce like a limiting belief. And uh, so this story hopefully serves as a message. Like you don't have to, you don't have to allow things like that to limit your, your uh, capabilities and your belief system. 
Yeah, I think, you know, back to like your thoughts create your reality, right? There's a lot of views when you get the result of a test, right? You can either say, wow, I suck at this and I'm no good. Or you can say, you know what? I can do better next time and I can keep going. Like there's so many options to pass you can take from there. Mm -hmm. um, you create that objective and you create the direction from where you want to go from there. Yeah, I I love that whole message so much because basically, um, I like I I'm just I like to remind myself of it uh, a lot. Is basically like we're the captain of our own ship, you know? Like if like we we can we're the only person that can control ourselves type thing. So yes, I I'm resonating with what you're what you're talking about there. Yes. Uh, let's see here. How has a relaxed attitude and uh, belief served you during hardship? Um, well, the relaxed attitude is a new thing. So okay. I would <laughs> it's a newfound treasure. Yeah, you know, if anybody listening to this who knew me 10 years ago would be like, well, she was not relaxed. Like, she's a high-intensity person, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Relaxed, I think it's really letting go of what you can't control, right? Um, and when you focus on just what you can, there's so many improvements to ourselves that can happen that that really starts to, one, change the world around us, but in a really, like, in a really, I don't want to say magical way, but, like, in a in a really natural way. And, like, an example of this is, like, I think so often in our jobs, we worry about like being bad or what other people will think. And like when we show up as ourselves, like, yeah, you may burn some bridges, but that's probably going to lead you down on the path that you're meant to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, if you're hiding yourself and not being who you really are, like that's not a good fit for you. So you won't be your true, full, successful self. And so like really just like letting go of like, hey, here's the things I can't control um, allows life to evolve really naturally. And I think really has helped me reach my full potential because now I'm doing things that I'm good at and I start to see success in the things I do. Mm -hmm. would, would you say it's kind of allowed you to attract an audience or following for your message as well? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, because when you're not authentic, people can read that and they can feel that. Um, and then it's just a lot of work to keep up. Like, you know, when you're not being yourself, like, that's probably why you're stressed out, right? You know, because you're exuding so much work to carry up these perceptions um, that. Hmm. You know, then you just don't have the bandwidth to really carry it through. So like, yeah, when people are looking for authenticity and that's what people will follow. Um, so if you want to build a following, let your freak flag fly. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes. All right. That is a yeah. solid message. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Th uh, thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Um, what is the best advice you have ever received? The best advice. Oh, I've got so, 
I think honestly, like one was just from my mom before I, like I, when I left, I left home at 18 with just like a couple thousand dollars and like my 1992 um, Jetta. Uh, Cause I thought it would be like hippie, <laughs> but it just was a crap car. Uh, and you know, my mom told me like, don't forget, like you always have your smile. And like, I think that's, like that saved me in so many situations one like when you're really sad just like smile but two like it's amazing how much just like smiling at another person at work or like you know smiling at another person at a coffee store can open up a conversation which can lead to something um it can open up you know it can open so many doors and so like just don't forget each of you have your smile. And I think like sometimes we forget all the things we're really blessed with. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, some people just are grumps. It's gotta <laughs> be a terrible way to live. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's a great message. And uh, I, I'm certainly guilty of being a grump from time to time, but that's a great <laughs> reminder. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, what is the most important book? Maybe um, non-technical book. Most important book. There's so many good ones. Um, I think I really, so one I really like, uh, it's, can I pick two? Go most, for it. Yeah. <laughs> so one that really helped me like reprogram my brain. Um, and I really do look at it as reprogramming. So, um, was called Psycho Cybernetics. It's like from the 70s, but just like a really great book in terms of like how you can change your outlook and like, you know, your environment around you will change. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the other one, I really just love the principles in it and I follow the strategy for success was like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I think it's so classic. I think that some people are turned off, like some of the language in it is a little old, mm. um, like the principles of like the 12 steps, um, you know, really whatever you set your goal out to be, it's like helped me achieve it countless times. Mm. Um, I'm always iterating through those principles. Um, and I would say like, those are still two pivotal books that kind of re help me reprogram and, and reshape my brain and, and help me achieve my goals. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I have one of those on my bookshelf, so I need to go Yay. grab the Which other one. I'm guessing psychocybernetics. Yeah, for sure. That, uh, that, that's, I also have it in audiobook, and they have like, they'll, they'll weave, um, kind of like recordings that have never been released or something. It's just really cool. Oh, nice. Like the guy is like literally talking to you and, uh, just solid gold. Like it's crazy how, that knowledge has been uh, re like regurgitated, repackaged, whatever you want to call it, and sold in like you know productivity courses and all this stuff. It's just like these people had it figured out like you know fifty hundred years ago type thing. And um, anyway, it, it's fascinating. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's great. Um, all the self development. I mean, at the end of the day, all we can change is ourselves. So you know, you might as well buy a self development. <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm all about that and then there's something there's something uh it's not like an original idea but basically like one of the best 
investments you can make in is basically in yourself. So, um, you know, argue, argue. I agree. On, on that and a one. good mattress. Like you spend a lot of time sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm sleep. not Seriously. promoting like Casper mattress or anything, but like you should buy yourself a good mattress. So <laughs> treat yourself. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's excellent. Uh, you know, no pressure here, but, uh, what programming <laughs> languages should we look towards in 2020? Uh, I guess it depends on what you're wanting to do. Um, if you're wanting to be in data science or machine learning, like Python still reigns supreme in, in this area. Mm-hmm. So like that's my area, my subject that I know best. I feel like it's the only thing I can truly advise on um, because the rest of it's really becoming a lot more GUI interfaces too. So it's, um, I think some, in some ways, and people may judge me this one, but I think, you know, programming language are also kind of getting automated in some mm-hmm. fashion. Um, so Python's like one that I think is still like a building block and, and, and staying supreme in the data science space. Yeah, that's good stuff. What, what is your call to action here? if people want to reach out to you or they're feeling like, uh, like kind of gravitating towards your cause? Yeah. So probably the best way to connect with me is follow me on social media, um, on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Um, you can also sign up. I have a research group. Um, so where we work on data science problems for goods, so you can sign up for that on my website. Um, and then if you're a woman in data, definitely check out women in data because like, there's just so many amazing women leaders in that space. And, you know, we may be in your city and I'd love to connect with you there. And, and how would, uh, let's say there's not a, uh, like there's a, there's a woman that's listening to this, but they don't have that in, in her city. Is there like, how, how would they get that in their city? I guess. Yeah. So, um, one sign up for our newsletter because we're coming out with webinars next uh, in early 2020. So that's what we mm-hmm. noticed We're we're not in every single city in America, unfortunately. And yeah. so, um, we're, we'll be doing webinars so that you can still listen to some of those talks that we have. Okay. And, and I guess, um, what if like someone like myself, for example, is like all about this, like, like, is there any reason for me not to try and get that going in my city, for example, or what's your perspective on um, that? So we actually, men attend our events because there's some cities where there's not a strong like data science community. Um, and so some of our events even have about 50% male participants. We've also had men be leads in our city um, to start a chapter. So there's a link on our website if you want to start a chapter and what you need to do to do that. Um, yeah, so we welcome one and all. We just you know want people to support our mission of increasing diversity. And really, it's just like we we always have to shoo people out of our events because they won't quit like talking and networking. So like. Hmm is one of the most inclusive and welcoming communities I think that you're going to find. So um, we'd love for you to, to show up. Yeah, that, that sounds really awesome. 
Uh, what did we leave off the table or did we cover it all? We are coming up on our hour here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this was great. Like I had a lot of fun. So I, I think I'll leave it there because I'll open up something else and it will be another hour long. So <laughs> Fair enough. No, this, this was definitely a lot of fun. I think I, f I found you on Instagram from one of the hashtags. So oh, nice. uh, yeah, I, I think that's where I, where I uh, located you, but yeah, podcasts, I'm telling you, this is the best excuse to get on somebody's calendar, host a podcast folks. Yeah. <laughs> so, curiosity meetings. Yes. So, curiosity meetings. Name for somebody. Just yeah. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, Sadie, thank you so much for, uh, joining, uh, joining me on the show here. And I look forward to seeing where your organization goes and the impact that it has on the world. That's really exciting. awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate Thanks. It. Yep.